gardening. And um, I happened to have a conversation with one of the utility workers um, outside. And um, I kind of, I really didn't think about, I had my two kids um, with me and I was going to pull them in. Um, But he was listening to some Christian rap. And you know me and Christian rap. I was just like, oh, what's that? You know, this is pretty cool about, you know, Jesus bringing the gospel to the nations. And I was like, hey, man, is that Lecrae? And he looks at me. He's like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? I was like, oh, um, is, that, is that like Christian rap? This is so-and-so. I wish I remember the name. And, and, um, and I asked him this. And after that, just great lead up, I was like, I'm just going to ask him the question. So, so would you say that what he's singing about, is that the same as your spirituality? Does that kind of run with, with what you believe? I don't, I, that, didn't, that didn't come. I just, I just sensed the Holy Spirit wanted me to press in, so I just asked the question. And little did I know, that just led to him just verbally just pour out um, about how he was so, um, he's like, man, thank you so much for asking and, um, you know, I'm fighting my demons, and, you know, but I have, honestly have a lot against, uh, not God, but against the structure of the church and how it's run. And he proceeded to tell me about just his misgivings and the hurt that he's experienced about as he's, he's saying, well, you know, I, 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 li- I like God, but it's the people that represent them. Like, what are they, what are they talking about? And they're pretending everything is going on, especially with all the sexual abuse in the church and all the uh, financial uh, uh, mishandling in the church. I am just, he's just livid. He's like, how can they just go on and live life that's completely normal and they just kind of live life, uh, live life as normal? Where I'm kind of, and he just, you know, he started sharing a lot of uh, cussing and, and all those kind of things. Um, and he was just sharing his heart. But he said they should not be protecting or taking advantage. But, you know, I know how it is. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a father of three kids, of three daughters, and I'm raising them up in a different country. And I know how the streets are. And I, I, ga- I graduated from the streets to the suburbs. And, and I'm raising these three daughters. And I'm like, I'm, trying, I'm sad to say that I have to protect them and teach them how to use a gun because that's safer than actually trusting them with the church. So I have, I have issues with the structure of the church. And yeah, maybe later on I'm going to get serious about religion. Um, but, you know, and that's where he started crying. I'm, he just said, I have issues with this. Ranging all the way from my grandmother. And, and he just kept on going and he was just in tears. Here's a guy who is like literally came out of a big pimped out SUV. And he looked like a man's man, and here he is just bawling and just sharing his heart with me. And he's like, yeah, once in a while I'll, I'll run into people that are genuine like you, that thank you so much for asking those questions, and I appreciate it, but it's been so hard. And uh, I sense that he, I mean, he went through some suffering, obviously a lot of distrust against the church, and... Um, and I did tell him, like, hey, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. The church is full of messed up people like myself. But don't throw out Christ. He's the only one that did it, that did do everything that he would say. And that we could totally trust and totally, totally believe. He's, 
the king of glory. He's the God of mercy. He's the only one who is true. And so don't get stuck on the church that you forget and lose sight of the Christ of the church. And, um, you know, I wish I talk less. And as I was thinking about that, and I wish that I, I wept more. I wish I got to share with this brother. I don't even know his name. Um, that Jesus is not just angered about the things that you are struggling with or the things that you are angered about, but he is a God who loves you in your pain, in your, in your hurt. He is a God who cares for you. In fact, he is deep, more deeply with you in your pain and doesn't leave you to fend for yourself or to think that guns or whatever else in this world is going to save you. And that's safer than Jesus. Where Spurgeon found in his pain that the sympathy of Jesus is the next most precious thing to his sacrifice. And unfortunately, I didn't get that time because he was interrupted with a, with a coworker, and I, And it was, just, it was just really painful. And that, after that conversation, I kept thinking about this guy. And I'm still thinking about him. And I'm still painfully gripped because that conversation renewed my hardened heart and reminding me that what I am preaching and what am I teaching is real. And I am grieved because people like me and people who are spiritual leaders in the church have abused their position that has turned away a generation. I'm grieved by that. And I think that before we talk to people and tell them the answer, we, we need to weep and grieve with them in their pain. But we also have to be very careful and be very nuanced. Of course, we don't say the church is a bunch of um, unrepentant, unrepent- you know, like lost, hopeless people either. No, we don't see that. We believe that the church is you know, in a sense, sinful, but yet being redeemed for his glory. But this is what Jesus is speaking out against in this generation. Jesus does not commend here, but he condemns, like my brother that was helping out and doing some utility work on my streets. What do we see about this generation, and and how is it dangerous to remain neutral with Jesus or his words. And for us, I want to pose a, a specific challenge. Where have you been hardened? And will you need the Lord to renew your heart today? Well, let's read verses 38 to 42. God's word says this in verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. 
Jesus' response is simply an uh, innocent question with condemnation. Why? Is it wrong for us to ask for a sign to, for Jesus to demonstrate his credentials? No, we probably all have been there. But the issue here is that the Pharisees didn't care about the answer. They were simply testing Jesus, and Jesus already weighed out their hearts. Jesus was opposed to their hardened hearts that was completely closed off to Jesus. So, you know, if their hearts were good, then their hearts would have been opened and softened by Jesus' former miracle, what we just talked about, of exercising a demonized man and restoring his sight and voice. And they had opened hearts. They would have seen Jesus' identity as the messianic king to the T. So seconds after accusing Jesus of being demonically influenced, Jesus now turns the tables on them. Far from him being influenced by a demon, it's more like the other way around. Jesus says, that, no, I'm not going to give this wicked and adulterous generation a sign. Now, wicked doesn't have the same force of meaning it did. Wicked is another way of saying good and awesome. In fact, we got a Broadway musical named after wicked that a lot of us probably enjoyed. So that, 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 that range of meaning is kind of, it's been twisted. But I think adulterous, I think, still might carry much of the same weight. You don't just go around and say, hey, you adulterer, and get away with it. Jesus was not shy. He called out his generation as an adulterous generation, one that was full of wickedness and idolatry. And I think Jesus was saying this, religious leaders, you're not responsible just for you. You're responsible for the hearts of the generation that you have turned away and you have shut the door on salvation. As Jesus puts in Matthew 23, 13 to 14, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Jesus' supreme holiness was casting a spotlight on their hearts. And Jesus had said this, that they are whitewashed tombs that appeared outwardly beautiful and maybe, uh, maybe a picture of a, of a museum, and, and yet they were full of a rotten, stinking corpse on the inside. They lived for the praises of man rather than the praise of, uh, praises of man rather than the praise of God. And for that, they made not sons of God, but they made children of hell. They were still blinded by Satan, the spirit of this age. And so if the spirit and the son of God was standing right in front of them as Jesus was, their hardened hearts would not see them. And that stopped me right then. I asked myself, if Jesus came back today, would I not only recognize him, but would I be glad to see him? Do I love this piano? Do I love Jesus? Do I love Jesus only when I'm singing my favorite worship songs? Do I love Jesus only in a conference? Do I love Jesus with only other people? Or do I love Jesus and his appearing? That there is nothing about this life that would ever, that pales in comparison to seeing the risen Christ come back. When Jesus looks upon our generation, what does he see? And I fear this, and I, I speak to myself, but I fear he sees a hardened heart. We're probably, probably the most hardened generation that this world has, has ever seen. 
We are a whitewashed tomb of dead works, people who pay lip service but are closed off to the heart of God and to his goodness. This materialism and this idolatrous culture has dulled our affections for God, his word, and has left us empty of the spirit. We are the most technologically advanced culture in the world, but we are the most theologically empty. We just don't read the Bible anymore, and it's hard to read the Bible. Think about the last time that you read three sentences of the scriptures without your mind going to checking your messages or checking something in your work or going to an email or thinking back to a conversation you've had. We do not read the Bible anymore. We are, not peop- we are the people of God, but we are not the people of God's word. And did not Hebrews tell us, take care, brothers, lest in any of you there be an unbelieving and hardened and evil heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And every day we are hardened, brothers and sisters, by the power of sin. Every day we are dulled or we are drawn to the Spirit of God. And it really is going down to that one thing. Are we hardened by the power of sin? Are we obeying sin? Are we more in love for God? We don't long for Jesus like the Puritans did. We don't long for Jesus like the early apostles did. We don't die for Jesus or suffer abuse or insults like the reformers did. And, you know, it doesn't get, take long to convict me, but I was just reading Thomas's Brooks' book, An Ark for All God's Know. It's one of those, you know, those small Puritan books. And Thomas Brooks, he was a pastor um, uh, and a nonconformist in English an English Puritan um, from 1608 to 1680, um, and yet he was later banished um, as a pastor from holding any official pastoral office by the Act of Uniformity, which basically the Church of England had said, you got to abide by our rules or be gone and get a new job. I mean, how many of, I mean, I, I step away from that. How many of us as pastors can say, well, if you're going to keep on preaching the word, Sorry, you're not going to be recognized on a social level, on a federal level. You're not going to get texts and you're not going to do this or that. How many of us would be willing to give this up? And he did. He gave up not only his office, his way of living. He gave up, he was banished from all social affairs. He was banished from anything from the government, from ever running from office, ever voting, from doing all these kind of things. And yet he kept writing. And he wrote this book from Lamentations 3.24 on exhorting Christians that our souls need to be found in God, that our souls, uh, that our souls, especially in difficult and trying times, that Jesus and that God should be our portion. And he calls us to self-examine. I, I just want you to listen to Thomas Brooks. If God be most precious to you, then all that dishonors that are done to God, his truth, his worship, his ways, his ordinances, his institutions, his government, his people are most grievous and burdensome to you. End quote. 
In other words, if God is most precious to you, then you should be burdened by the things that most grieve his heart. But what happens when you see things about the persecuted church? What happens when you see people take God's name in vain? What happens when you see people openly disregard the scriptures of the word? What happens in your heart? And that convicted my heart. If God is my portion, how can I stand and let his name be dishonored and not even grieved when I do that to him? You know, we may not see this on a regular basis, but a lot of times I just go back down to my own life and I ask myself, what, what am I most drawn to, right? Am I more drawn to the Dodgers uh, pulling ahead of the Giants? Am I, am I more drawn to um, getting my kids on video because they've done something amazing in school? Um, just recently I was watching YouTube and there was a preview that started out this Cayman alligator will die from this electric eel. And so for 10 minutes, I am morbidly fascinated with this Cayman alligator getting completely obliterated by this electric eel and the fact that this electric eel has like three panels. Don't you all think this is awesome? Three panels of like electrical like uh, panels that runs high voltage up to 860 volts. And that's so that he can take an apex predator like a caiman alligator and then, and then just like just shock him to death. So that this, this apex predator is like, is like immobilized. I mean, have you ever watched any? How many? You don't have to be shameful. How many of you have ever watched anything like that on YouTube? Okay, thank you. We got, some, we got one honest person in the room. <laughs> and I was watching this. Thank you, Brian. Um, I was watching this electric eel blast the living daylights out of this Cayman alligator, and I found myself feeling sorry for this alligator, which I don't think if I ever saw one running in the wallow somewhere, I ain't going to feel that way about an alligator. I'm going to turn around and run and book it, right? But it convicted me. It shocked me, but it also convicted me. Man, if I am so interested in stuff like this, how come I am so disinterested, right, in the name, when, when God's name is, is, is dishonored? And I think Jesus exposes a generation for hardened hearts. He said that no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, what is the sign of the prophet Jonah? In the original languages, I'm just going to cut to the chase, it points to Jonah himself. It's not so much what he did, but what happened to him? And if you're new to the Bible, um, there's two parts. There's the Old Testament, which is focusing on God's rescue of a sinful and a broken world that has been broken from sin, and also just um, previewing a rescuer that would come from the nation of Israel to save a sinful people and ultimately the world from their sin. The New Testament is, is part two of that, where Jesus comes in and, and he actually appears um, as the Son of God, as, as fully human, 100% human and 100% God, and, and he calls by miracles and signs and wonders and preaching, and, and he announces the kingdom of God, and he says, the kingdom of God has come, is it at hand, and I am coming to come back and renew this kingdom and restore what God had originally intended for those who would surrender their lives to him. 
We see it at various times in Israel's history. You see Israel getting it and then not getting it, most likely not really getting it, and most of the time just rebelling and hardening their hearts against God. God sent multiple warnings through prophets to return back to the Lord or face judgment, and one of those prophets was actually the, the name of Jonah, who was uh, prophesying in the northern kingdom about 800 B.C., and Jonah, God's chosen messenger, he the messenger of God rebelled against God. That's what makes it, makes it such a great read. And, and he, in response, God sends a big fish to swallow him and in a sense to humble him. Jonah repents, meaning he turns back to God. He says salvation comes from the Lord. God calls him again to, to call his hated enemies, the Ninevites, to repent, which they did. Yet when Jonah did, did come to town, to Nineveh, it was assumed that everybody already knew what had happened to him. I mean, he was literally, his hair, because of the, the juices, and he's been in a fish for like three days, his hair was probably bleached white. He looked like a, a scene out of like an apocalyptic movie. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't like be in the know without knowing that he literally dis, did, was delivered from death. But that's the sign of Jonah because verse 40, Jesus says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a, of a large fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is comparing Jonah's deliverance to his deliverance. He said that as he was delivered, literally delivered from near death, and then literally came back from the dead from this fish, Jesus was saying, hey, I didn't just escape death. I went into the heart of death. And I rose again on the third day. And so these idolatrous uh, Ninevites, these materialistic Ninevites, repented at the word of Jonah simply because he had escaped death to, to believe his message. And so where Jesus' generation were given the Messiah himself, where they had the chance to receive Jesus, they rejected him and gave him over to death. And as a result, if Jonah's generation came back to life again, they would surely condemn Jesus' generation at judgment. This was also the same in which the queen of Sheba came to listen to the, uh, the wisdom of Solomon. And you'll see in the text that the queen of Sheba even traveled to Israel to go uh, to, to hear his wisdom. And then she praised God. She listened, even though Solomon was much lesser than Jesus. And together, the queen of the south and Jonah's generation would rise up one day and would condemn rightly Jesus' generation. What about for our generation? Have we hardened ourselves from the voice of God in the scriptures? Have we compromised our position when the world looks down at the church? Have we undermined the authority of God's living word? Have we not taken seriously God's gifts of supernatural gifts today? Brothers, sisters, church family, have we stopped our zeal because we don't want to be canceled? And have we as preachers have stopped praying for healings and signs and wonders because we don't, want to, we don't want to look weird? Or maybe we've stopped speaking out because we don't want to, we want to just be accepted and loved by the world. Well, churches are filled today, as Vadi Bauckham says, pastorettes preaching sermonettes for Christianettes. And whole family, I hope that's not us. I hope that we're not so focused on being like that we allow ourselves for the name of Christ to be hated. 
But there's something worse than being hated. It's being hardened against God's word. And this neutralizes our witness, and we become like the people described in the next verses. Look with me in verses 43 to 45. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person and passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none, then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put into order. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. The second point is this neutrality with Jesus kills. This may look kind of random, but if you, this, this goes right, way back to verse 22, where Jesus cast out a demon who was making both man, both blind, or, or both deaf and mute. But the problem is not that the demon is cast out, or not is, is cast out, that's not the problem. But in this situation, if uh, that person who has its demon cast out remains non-committal to Jesus, the issue is that neutrality with Jesus kills. To simply be rid of a spirit, to have an evil spirit cast out, means that something else can be brought in. And even in this case, the enemy, he's going. And he's going to bring in more evil spirits, more powerful than the first. So while this does give some truths about demonization and uh, demonic influence, what the main issues are is this, that they were a parable. This man is a parable of this evil generation, that they uh, may look clean and empty and swept in order on the outside, but they were whitewashed tombs, but they were full of rotten dead corpses in the inside. They had not submitted their lives to Jesus' authority, and because of that, they were open to the enemy's influence and attack. And while we as Christians cannot um, be completely um, overtaken or indwelt in by an evil spirit because of our positional authority in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. We are on the front lines of a spiritual battle where the enemy is going to find any open areas to influence or attack us, including a hardened heart. But we, they has no authority. It's like tick, ticks on a dog in which because the authority as a believer in Christ, we can fight with prayer and unity and confidence in the power of the, of the Spirit and the sovereignty of God. But friends, I want to draw my attention to this in this warning, that the problem is not so much, um, well, the problem, I'll get back to that, but the problem is that if you remain neutral to Jesus, you neither follow Jesus, but you don't hate on him either. You may be in the most dangerous state of all. In this case, demons are looking for dry and waterless places, which is where they find their rest. It's where they like to frequent Isaiah 13, 20 to 21. They're trying to find rest, but they find none, so they decide, hey, I'm going to go back to this place where nothing has overtaken it. And I found it's clean, it's swept up, it's five stars on Yelp. I like it. There's nothing that's blocking on this demon from coming back in. But the worst thing is that it's not going to just stay as evil. It's going to bring a bunch of his friends. And there's nothing blocking it from making this clean house into an evil and that's why Jesus closes with the words, so also will it be with this evil generation. You have been confronted, the evil generation, with the power and authority of the living Son of God. You have been swept. You've been removed from the, uh, the, 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 dem the demon. But you 
open yourself up. There's nothing to replace the evil in your heart. You have failed to replace the evil in your heart with the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be viciously attacked and satanically hardened. And so I just want to implore you, friends, anybody who is not walking with Jesus at this moment, he loves you, yes, but you are either for him or you're not. There is no neutrality with the living God. And I I know that's tough to swallow when we're in a culture that really is opposed to calling out anything um, as sinful. But we have to make sure that we are being totally accurate to the word of God. We are held accountable and under stricter judgment for preaching this text. And we have to make sure that we are not straying to the right or to the left when it comes to God's word. To quote Jesus, you are either for him or against him. And maybe that strikes you as a little cold, but friend, this is the most loving thing that I can say, that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life, and he's the only rescuer who is strong enough and powerful enough to redeem you from sin. We know John 3.16, but we don't know the, the passages after that. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed the name of the only Son of God. If you are not in Christ, God does not place you under condemnation. You're already condemned because of your hardened heart. And that's true of all of us. All of us would like to rule our own lives. All of us would like to be independent of God. All of us would like to wake up and say that we're the ruler, the captain of our own soul. All of us are ruling, or rather rule our own lives before um, and not be accountable to anybody, right? But God did not come here to condemn you. He came to save you. God did not come to make it even more of a burning building. He is, he is telling you to come and take his hand but he was not neutral towards sin, and we should not be neutral to our sin as well. And he will, he will, he, 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 it says in the scripture, he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Jesus is the only Son of God. And for us to be neutral to Jesus doesn't do him justice. This is the God who has created you, who has formed you, and who has given his life to save you. Jesus Christ demands and calls you lovingly, draws you to put your life and your trust and all of your fears and your sins and to move toward him, to the living God who not only has come down, he has come down the first time to save those from sin, And the second time he comes, he's going to come to reign and judge for those who continue to resist him and continue to just be neutral to him or continue to just to put it off. Hey, when things get better in my life, when I finish fighting all my demons, when I finish doing all the things that I need to do, when I get into this place financially, I'm going to go back to Jesus Does that sound familiar? 
Or maybe, hey, I'm, I'm okay. I take a few drinks here and there. I'm, I don't beat my wife. I'm pretty good. I have some problems watching some movies from time to time, but I'm actually pretty good. Well, friend, I think you think of your goodness a little too highly than you ought to think. And just to be straight, you're hung up in your goodness, right? The truth is, you are hardened by sin. You merit an eternal death and separation from the living God because of your rebellion. Your goodness, as J.I. Packer says, it's all shot through with sin and contains something to be forgiven. And at the end of days, we will come before the Lord of Lords, and is your goodness going to be enough? Friends, neutrality is not an option. You can't just sweep up the outside of life of your life and be without Jesus. If God were to expose your hearts, friends, if you were to come before the judgment scene of God, you would be full of sin. The sin merits judgment and condemnation, but the good news um, is that when the enemy wants to deceive and harden you against your need for God, when he wants to put the, hit the uh, snooze button on your alarm, the spirit of this age has blinded you to say that you don't need God. The spirit of the living God through the gospel of God has broken into your life and has called you and said, come and trust in Jesus. Fly. He did not leave us. This good God did not leave us in condemnation. He didn't leave you in suffering. He has lovingly sent his son Jesus as the promised Messiah to save you from condemnation. And he suffered. He suffered for you. And he suffered with you. And he took upon your sin all upon himself. And he took upon it as the, the sacrifice for the sins of us all, so that we would not be condemned, but we would be saved by the God of all creation and the God who draws sinners to himself because he has suffered for us, bled and died for us, and he has done everything so that you can come to him. If you would not just surrender and say, God, unharden my heart and bring me to you. I just want everybody to stand. And Christians in this room, and friends, if that's you, I just want to encourage you from the very depths of my heart, fly to Jesus. Know he loves you. And he's not calling you to have the right words. He's not calling you just to fix up your life perfectly. He is a God who walks with you in that journey. But he is a God who says, take my hand. Take my lead. Surrender your life to me. Turn away from the life of your sin and turn to me in grace. And he will restore you. He will save you. He will love you. He will walk with you in your suffering. And he will weep with you. Christians, if there's anybody here, did you walk in today with a hardened heart? And I want to encourage you, if that's you, I want you to come and, and say, God, remove anything, any hint that can take me away from the arms of Jesus. Come to God honestly in faith, even in this time as we pray, that you would take away and ask God to take away anything deceitful, anything, anything to take away you sweet communion and obedience to Jesus. Let's go to him right now. So we invite the prayer team to come forward and the worship team to, to also play. Spend some time and some moments to worship him and let him examine you and ask God to root out any hardness of heart 
in your own heart that you need to be rooted out so that you can just dive in and feel his love.